The Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast is presented by Wong Wei Woods Disc Golf Course in Buda, Texas. Wong Wei Woods is hosting a fundraising tournament Saturday, February 4th, 2023, and is raising funds to make the course permanent. The proceeds will go to securing permanent baskets and tee boxes. You can see more by joining the Facebook group, Wong Wei Woods. That's W-O-N-G Wei Woods. Also, if you can't make the tournament, you can still help by purchasing an official custom-stamped Wong Wei Woods Mint Disc. For $22, it'll be shipped anywhere in the U.S., and you may land yourself an Unfinity Full Art Land. And international disc golfers, please send a message via Facebook. But that $22 will all go to helping the course get finalized. Once again, for any Texas listeners, Saturday, February 4th, behind Buck's Backyard in Buda, the Wong Wei Woods Fundraising Disc Golf Tournament. And the rest of you disc golf fans, join the Facebook group, Wong Wei Woods, and get your disc today. You can find a link in the show notes, and you can see the discs on the show Patreon page. Wong Wei Woods, where the river is imaginary, but the OB is not. Welcome in to the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast, presented by Wong Wei Woods Disc Golf Course. Yes, I know, I know, can you believe it? We have an official sponsor, as you heard to start the show, right? Anyway, I'm very happy to help a cool cause like finishing building a dream disc golf course, so I was very happy to welcome Wong Wei Woods to the fold, and actually welcoming Johan Wan, who's the person creating the Wong Wei Woods disc golf course. He joined our Patreon as one of our title sponsor, and that's part of the reason for the delay in an episode, because we're working out the details for how the sponsorship will work. But as you are hearing, we're ready to roll. So, for the near future, we are presented by Wong Wei Woods. Also, don't forget, as we approach the holidays, you can get 10% off a customized shadow box cube at the Etsy store. Etsy.com slash store slash apes in capes using the code word magic. Wonderful pop culture, gaming, movie, music, and of course, magic moments captured in a beautiful display case. Perfect for that fan in your life or to add to your collection. Check the link in the show notes. And again, we still have a few to give away to those U.S. patrons who reach the $100 mark few more of those to give away. So if you want that Urza and Mishra playing Friday Night Magic on your shelf, you have a chance to do that. Etsy.com slash store slash apes in capes. Also, if you haven't joined the Discord, you can see the stats and numbers we did as a show this year with our Wrapped. And I'm really glad you're all here for the ride. Feel free to reach out to me, Phil and Sendai, on Twitter or Instagram. I love to hear from you. And of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon like Michael did. He's a content human. Our link is in the show notes. All proceeds of the Patreon go into a travel fund to see my parents, who I haven't seen in four years, and introduce them to our granddaughter. So it's all good. We are off to an early great start for the new year. Let's do our best together, everyone. Cheers. Let's go. Chapter 7 Gatha leaned heavily on a staff of dark ebony, its headpiece a pair of ironwood crescent blades stained in a deep crimson. Picking his way over the slide of rubble that obstructed the mountain trail, one of the larger rocks rolled underfoot and the mage earned a new cut against his lower shin. His quality calfskin boots, bought in the lowlands and assured of rugged wear, were nearly at an end to any useful life, scarred and scuffed against the sharp rock they'd clambered over the last several days. The thick wool coat, however, held up admirably. It was a good thing. The sharp wind that whistled down from the snow-drifted peaks 
cut through anything lighter. As it was, the wind found its way past cuffs and collar to keep him always on the verge of freezing. The sweat from the climb stood out cold on his face. Gatha considered magicking himself warm again, but that was a draining use of power and never lasted long enough. His guides, a Keldon trader and his son on their return from the lower port city, of Agdarisk plodded on steadily and without complaint of the rugged terrain or cold climate. The shaggy Kolos hides they wore kept them warm. They did not bother to check on the young mage's progress. They showed the same disregard for the slaves who were leading a caravan of large Kolos, something between a war elephant and a shaggy mountain sheep, to Gatha's eye loaded down with their wares and the mage's equipment. The slaves would follow because to disobey apparently meant a lingering death. Gatha would keep up or he would be left behind, likely to die. The Keldons were apparently not big on alternatives. They were, however, the largest men Gatha had ever seen. Drawl, nearly 14 and still two years away from entering military service, stood nearly six feet with a build to match his father's. Heavily muscled, the two of them, with forearms and lower legs longer than upper arms and thighs. They had grayish skin, networked with scars, and thick, dark hair with the triple widow's peak that Gatha's tattoos simulated. They also tattooed themselves, filling in the skin around their eyes with a dark ink that lent a fearsome appearance. The elder trader sported a pike in the place of his lower right arm, the limb lost in battle at the age of 18, he'd said. Gatha understood so little about these people, even though his father had once served as the Argivian liaison to a Keldon war host. He knew the basics, of course, that the Keldons based their society almost completely on the waging of warfare. They existed as mercenaries, their mountainous lands effectively one large armed camp. Other nations paid for their services and paid well, since Keldon negotiation techniques were fairly straightforward and violent when opposed. Try to bargain down the price and the war host was just as likely to claim the balance by force on their way home. Worse, they would simply claim the full price from your nation and then head home anyway. They carried back to Keld their blood price as well as pillage and slaves taken from the land invaded. Glancing back, Gatha counted at least three different nations among the human slaves. The Nalish were easily placed by their caste markings and the Surins by their ritual scarring of the face. He returned his gaze to the trail. Slaves were of little use to his efforts here, except as potential subjects for experimentation if all went well. Farther on, Gatha saw his first example of Keldon architecture. High enough into the mountains, these hard people began to feel at home. The building sat on a small cliffside plateau half buried into the mountain slope. Constructed of stone, several of the structures were three stories high, tiered as they rose to a steeply pitched roof of tan-colored wooden planks. They looked incredibly solid, as if called up from the ground on which they sat. The windows were dark. Stopping here? Gatha asked in simple Argivian. He had heard the trader speaking Keldon with a few others in the lowlands, a rough language that would be hard to learn. The Keldon people knew the basics of many languages, though, from their near-constant campaigning. Nah, at war, Trader said. He pointed toward a red banner spiked into an upper wall of one of the buildings, then looked back. He made a gesture of butting his one fist into the sharp end of his pike. Battle. Fighting. He bared his teeth enthusiastically. Gatha nodded his understanding, wiping sweat from his forehead and pulling his greatcoat closed tighter at the neck. Soon, he hoped, they would rest. The rogue tutor had discovered it more difficult than he thought trying to set up a lab outside of Talaria. His work was not looked upon favorably by most nations. Argiv, in fact, had been merely the first of several nations to refuse him. 
His experimentation did not allow for a secret laboratory. The room required and indelicacies of the operations themselves were certain to attract attention sooner rather than later. Twelve years of wandering, twelve real Dominarian years of work, lost before his arrival in Agdoresk and a talk with the local traders. Everyone the world over knew something of Keld and its aggressive ways. Learning more of them now in the shadow of their mountains, Gatha had been intrigued to hear of the rituals surrounding the creation of the Keldan warlords, the largest and most violent of the young, still several years out from entering military service, were sent on a pilgrimage through the deep mountains, frozen wastes. Those who survived were then enchanted to further their growth into larger, superior warriors. They became capable of extraordinary battlefield prowess that also worked to excite the troops being led into a frenzied state. To Gatha, this sounded very much like a eugenics program, if a bit crude in its methodology. His trader guide, when Gatha first found him, had not been inclined to talk with the mage. Noticing Gatha's tattoos had changed his mind. Apparently, they won him the courtesy of an interview, if that's what one might call. Gatha's simple speech and the trader's even simpler grunts. In the end, Gatha simply paid the man as a guide to the Keldon Necropolis, their capital where the doyens of the Warlord Council met. The Keldons were a people very interested in anything that could improve the way they waged war and already worked with the early stages of enhanced genetics. It had felt too good to be true, Gatha remembered, then stubbed his foot against a sharp rock and nearly fell. Too good to be true, until he had started this treacherous climb. The Keldon Necropolis crowned a mountain peak, the fortress capital rising up out of the hard land. Frost and snow lightly dusted some surfaces but drifted deep in the several large crevices where sun never struck ground. Homes rose up from the dark gray stone, single dwellings lower on the slopes, and higher up, loose clusters were tied together by trails worn into the hard earth over centuries. Near the summit, the buildings suddenly sprang up in thick numbers with little rooms for trails, most paths winding through caves carved into the mountainside. Above this mountainside city towered the great tombs themselves. Here, the Keldon warlords were finally laid to rest. This majestic vault defied gravity and earth as it challenged the sky. It was almost 200 feet high with steeply sloped sides, and one entire mammoth wall was open to the thin mountain air. When he had seen it from a distance, it had reminded Gatha of the great Surin burial pyramids. Only these were steeper pitched and the top carried away to make room for the living witch king's council chambers, the necropolis, where Gatha now waited to address the Keldon ruling body. The cold, thin air sat heavy in Gatha's lungs, as if reluctant to give up any oxygen. The mage had to work at breathing after his long climb. Waiting for his audience, Gatha's muscles burned in silent protest. He felt a poor excuse for an ambassador, especially one representing himself. He gave his wool greatcoat to the trader who had guided him up the mountain in exchange for a pair of tough colohide boots and thick furs. He felt a need of a hot bath and smelled of a large animal that had given up this particular set of hides. At least he would appear more presentable, or so he thought. A foot soldier escorted him through the set of large, bronze-plated doors and into the main council hall. The same magical architecture that held up the great tombs below must certainly have been used for the hall. Like a giant cylinder, it rose five stories straight up, with galleries set about each level for observers. Flags and banners from other nations had been crudely spiked into the walls. There were hundreds, thousands perhaps. Likely these were brought back from every war ever fought by Keld. The meeting area itself was actually an inverted amphitheater, a tiered pedestal carved out of the gray bedrock. The uppermost platform stood empty, possibly awaiting a speaker. On every ring after that sat the chairs of the council, each one different and again with some designs clearly belonging to nations represented on the walls. 
On those chairs sat the Doyans, the warlord elders of Keld, half a hundred at least. The traitor and his son, who had seemed so humongous to Gatha, could not begin to touch the smallest of these men, a great number of them easily topping seven feet. They wore thick leather clothing, ceremoniously studded and colored. No one wore hides that might provide warmth. Many tunics bared chests and arms to the frigid air, scars standing out whitish on gray skin. The cold was a long, vanquished enemy of these people. Some carried weapons at their sides, those lower down the platforms. Those higher-ups carried short staves or rods of carved bone. A mist from warm breath haloed the great room, and from out of that mist, fiercely tattooed eyes stared at the mage who suddenly felt very small and alone. It was a state Gatha was not too familiar with, and, secure in his own power, he quickly rallied from. He knew what he needed, and he would have it. Somehow. Warlords of Keld, he began slowly, speaking Argivian. He had already been informed that Argivian was a language most new, and that they would not speak with him unless he presented a subject suitable for their notice or offered a direct challenge. He had decided to offer a little of both. Into your lands I bring a gift, knowledge, which can help you and your nation grow mighty. Magics, which will make your sons stronger on the battlefield. Your warlords more fierce, and your victories more complete. A few stirred at that, possibly taking Gatha's words as a slur against their own prowess. The mage waited for a challenge, but none rose immediately. He stepped farther into the council hall. Briefly, he considered making his way up the platforms to the empty spot where all could easily see him, and then he decided against it. He possessed no way of knowing yet what the local rituals might demand. There was an obvious pecking order implied in the seating. Gatha did not want to challenge anyone's pride, not yet. So he instead circled the tear slowly, explaining the basics of his studies and experimentation. No details, he doubted anyone here would understand. He couched the more unpleasant facts in vague references or dismissed them completely, concentrating instead on how his own work mirrored that which the Keldons already employed in the creation of a warlord. I only need a lab, support, and time. He finished. Always time, the devourer of his accomplishments that had stalked him for twelve years now. A warlord on the lower tier near Gatha rubbed at his coarse beard. He growled a reply and broke an Argivian. Why puny one think we need his strength? Who's he? There followed something more, this in the Keldon tongue that could only be derision from the laughter barked out by the few others. Debate the mage would tolerate, but not even Baron had ever insulted the tutor's genius. Gatha speared the large man with an angry gaze, eye contact being a challenging gesture in any culture. One who is strong enough to be able to think before I speak, he answered with scathing disdain. Only an afterthought did Gatha wonder at his rash action. The warlord sat forward abruptly, muscles bunched and twitched, and one hand strayed toward the short, stabbing sword he wore. You speak to me, Varag, you, Lowlander? His dark eyes flashed dangerously. There's nothing for it now than to establish himself in some form of ritual duel, a test of strength. Gatha walked slowly toward the warlord, carefully drawing mana from the lands he had touched in his recent travels. He remembered the river delta of Agdarisk, its chaotic channels of muddied waters. Power swelled within his mind, begging for release. Eyes never flinching from the hostile warlord, the mage stepped up onto the first tier with calm and deliberate motion. Varg stood abruptly, one hand darting for his sword as the other clamped down hard on Gatha's shoulder, pinning the mage in place. 
Such deliberation and killing saved Gatha's life. The mage brought up one hand in a twisting motion. Energy danced from his fingertips and into the warlord's eyes. The giant man stumbled, sword falling from nerveless fingers, blinking away the sudden confusion. Gatha gathered himself up and physically forced the larger man from the platform so that now he stood at the same height, eye to eye as if physically dwarfed. The warlord rounded Gatha, spinning in a fluid, cat-like motion. Gatha thrust his left hand forward, sparks of blue energy dancing around his outstretched palms. Snarling, Varag clawed his own face with his thick fingernails and then charged forward. It caught the mage who had expected the Keldon to take more time to recover, off guard. He dodged to one side, releasing another blast of mind-numbing energy. This time, the sparks danced outward and glanced off the warlord's bared chest. Gatha was picked up by his shoulder, hip, and slammed down onto the tier. Darkness swam before his eyes. He felt detached, as if this could not possibly be happening. Battle magic! This is not how I die, he thought. Even so, he saw through the haze as Varg reached one hand back and clenched it into a hammer-like fist. A dark blur landed heavily behind the Keldon, grabbed the raised fist and pulled it back. The pressure eased from Gatha's shoulder. He sat up and scrambled backward until he found the next tier. Another warlord had pulled Gatha's attacker away. Now the two circled each other, crouched low and barring teeth. Varg shouted, attacked, and was dealt a cruel clawing across the face. The answering punch was weak, and the new warlord caught it up, snapping the arm at the elbow and easily as matchwood. Varg never uttered a sound for the pain. He simply stood there with a snarl of anger on his face, while the other warlord held on to a wrist of his broken arm. He glanced down, then bowed his head at the neck. The victor released the wounded arm, turned his back on Varg, stepped back onto the first tier, looking down on the mage. Gatha came to his feet slowly. I grail, the new warlord said in Argivian. He reached out slowly, placed a hand on Gatha's chest, and shoved him from the tier. The mage stumbled and nearly fell to his knees. Anger welled inside Gatha, but he held it in check. This one might know battle magic as well. There was no fighting them all at any rate. He broke eye contact and bowed his head as he'd seen the other warlord do. Both Doyen retook their seats. Varg below, and Crail on the next tier higher up. Crail studied Gatha in silence for a moment. You alive because I hear you more. Not once you did. Yet Gatha finished for him. Still, he recognized now the procedure he had witnessed, the stronger male disciplining the inferior. They respected strength and little else. I can make you stronger, he said cautiously, not wanting to offend but not ready to give up. I have special magics. I only need time and a little help. No one answered right away. Gatha saw Crail glance from the side of his eyes, obviously reading the body language of his neighboring warlords. You make many promises, he said slowly. Maybe keep, maybe don't, he paused. What can you show us now? Now there was a sentiment that Gatha could understand. Unfortunately, it was also one he had not decided a ready answer for. Few were those who thought of the present first and future later. It was that thought of the present that prompted a solution. I can scry the world of Dominaria. Not to say that more simply. M magic sight. See troubles and war. Today and any day. Where the Keld might find the best employment. No, not correct. Take the best plunder. That appealed to the assembly. Subtle nods were passed. A warlord on Crail's tier spoke to the group consensus. 
Prove it, and your work supported. Gathis smiled, breathing out between white teeth a cloud of frozen vapor. Proving himself was not a difficulty. It was, in fact, one of his favorite pastimes. Two years and Gatha could still not stand the smell. The small room stank of the peat used for walls, corrupting the crisp scent of new snow which had fallen in the night. The tan-wooded planking lay directly over earth, shifted slightly beneath Gatha's feet as he crossed the temporary laboratory. He slapped his hands together for warmth and held them over a barrel of slowly burning animal fat. The sharp, final talk of the clockwork timer drew his attention to another table, but the sound of rock being quarried distracted him from checking results. He paused at the window, cut into his southern exposure, looking downhill at the site of his permanent labs. His labs. A winding trail cut down the snowy mountainside toward an area roughly leveled by natural erosion. The site was large, befitting the importance of the work Gatha intended to do there and the efforts he had already put forth on behalf of the Kelton people. A doyen, one of the Kelton matriarchs, strutted imperiously around the site overseeing the project. The females oversaw everything which was not associated directly with warfare. Slaves worked to burst away some remaining outcrop pings. The dark gray rock was collected and then moved by Kolos to the building pile used by the Keldon builders. Among that small percentage of Keldons ill-suited to war, dishonored and sent to live as general laborers, traders, or farmers, these outcasts would rate master builders in many nations Gatha could name. They worked slowly and methodically, building to Gatha's specifications but following their own designs when practical. In his fourteenth year of self-imposed exile from Talaria, Gatha could finally hope to begin soon a serious continuation of his earlier work. The Keldon armies were constantly on the move these days, preying on Dominaria wherever Gatha's scrying and a nation's coin brought them. The mage's commitments called for a great deal of his time and efforts, especially when the council preferred his presence at the necropolis higher up in the mountain. Those efforts were now being scaled back in favor of his experimentation. Permission had been granted to begin his work on slaves and second-class Keldon citizens. He had already begun setting up his matrix and the rest of his equipment in this shack that Doyen had built for his temporary use. The first trials on native Keldons showed incredible response. Slaves were not quite as easily altered, but they served as good subjects for initial experiments. The Kolos were even more so, their tough nature adapting to his changes and giving Gatha more ideas. He used the Kolos as testing boards for his more radical ideas, moved up from there to slaves and then to the Keldons to observe an end result. No one complained of his few setbacks. Many of his Keldon subjects actually expressed appreciation that the mage had found a way that could serve their nation one final time. Gatha drank in the heady results as each day brought him closer to resuming a full workload. His work had certainly found a home here, the bloodlines of Keld.